Welcome to Two Priests Talking, a podcast where two priests sit down to have a conversation about our current cultural moment and how we might engage with what is happening in the world around us as faithful Christians. Greetings, I'm Father Aaron Wright, the rector at Old North Abbey Anglican Church here in Knoxville, Tennessee. I am one of the two priests talking, and we're hoping to bring you conversations about reasonable faith in what seems to be less than reasonable times. I'm the second priest of Two Priests Talking, Father Nick Hamilton, the associate rector here at Old North Abbey, and we are literally two priests talking. All right. Well, welcome to this inaugural episode of Two Priests Talking. Uh, I'm Father Nick Hamilton. It's good to be here with you all, and I'm here with my friend, Father Aaron Wright. You're not wearing a priest collar today. I am. You said that you didn't have clean clothes? I I was out of clean clerical garb, which, I mean, you know, to my defense, I had a couple of long sleeve ones. Mm-mm. But it's stinking hot outside. No, still. you don't wear long sleeve clerical stuff in the south in the summer in August. I mean, I kind of want like a linen cassock. And do they make a black linen cassock? There's some gentlemen I'm sure who could tell us <laughs> who could put that yeah. together for me. What about a seersucker? A Ooh. seersucker cassock? A se- well, yeah, a seersucker clergy garb would be pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I have, uh, after transitioning to the South, I have learned that seersucker is quite the uh, envied, coveted after material. I have nothing in seersucker. I've been here over a decade now. I feel like that's, do you have anything in seersucker? No. Mm-hmm. No, but I'm not, I'm not that kind of Southern gentleman. Maybe we should uh, change that up. Maybe we need to get a little bit of seersucker for this Easter season, this Easter uh, if tide. We do, if we get into seersucker, we'll have to go to like derbies. And the whole shebang. That's just not my. That's not my sort of southern. You're not into the races. No, I'm not really into horse racing. Yeah, I could get down with mint juleps and things along those lines. Maybe hats, but I'm not sure that uh, going to the derbies. Those still feel a little weak <laughs> to me. I'm not the mint julep. Yeah, it still feels a little. I don't know. You got to drink it with your pinky up. Would you like a mint julep? No, that's not how we talk. Are you sure that you would not like a mint julep? You sound like Colonel Sanders. (laughs) Well, Colonel Sanders might be proud to be my friend. So uh, enough of the Southern uh, jargon. I I do think I'm going to look for some seersucker this year. But uh, as we jump into this first episode of Two Priests Talking, we wanted to engage with the idea of church. And in particular, who are we as the church? Who is the church? What is the church? Why is the church important? And how do we engage with culture around us as the church? And I think right now, due to the different things that are happening in culture around us, it can feel like a difficult time to know how to be the church. I think that's right. And I think one of the things that's taken place and this has always been the case, right? So it's not, it's a, it's not a new thing, but that uh, there is a distinction between, at least for Christians, we would say, the church and culture are two different entities. And one of the things that 
and, and if you're listening to this and A, you're a part of the church, or B, you're not part of the church, um, what we want to discuss today, I think, is what is a rightful understanding? What's a reasonable understanding of who the church is, mm. even as what you and I have discovered is that culture tries to define uh, what the church is through a particular lens, and right. and we would just disagree with that. And in some ways, people in the church are taking the definition or the um, the viewpoint that culture takes about the church and sort of applying it to the church themselves. Correct. Yeah. And we want to take it back to a more scriptural and historic understanding of what is the church? Why did God create this thing called the body of Christ, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the church? Why was that his plan for moving salvation out into the world? Why was that the thing that God created? And I think that sometimes we forget that that is what God did, that he created this institution that has spanned millennia now for the sake of the world, Mm -hmm. not just for the sake of a couple of small neighborhood corner churches, but for the betterment of the entire world. And uh, as we get into this, Aaron, I do think it's important to say culture can, in certain instances, offer important critiques of the church. Absolutely. Sometimes the church is blind. Is blind, yeah, to their error. And God's not beyond using secular culture to reform his people. Uh, We see that in scripture even. And so there's this need for us to be humble in the way that we approach correction when correction is offered. But there's also this reality that we need to be careful to understand who we are as the body of Christ, who we are as the church through the appropriate lens, which as Anglicans we would say is scripture, tradition, and reason. We would Mm -hmm. use that reasonable faith, that reasonable understanding. And we would be careful and cautious when it comes to who the secular world says that we are. We need to realize that Christ has defined us first and foremost, and we want to use his definition sure. of who we are as church. Yeah, it reminds me what you were just saying, reminds me of this um, sort of consistent thing that takes place in the gospel stories mm-hmm. where you have the disciples, right? And then you have like a Bartimaeus figure, a blind man, right? And the disciples are unable to see. Mm. They're blinded. And Bartimaeus, sitting by the side of the road, uh, has the right spiritual vision, even though he's blind outwardly. So it reminded me, as we get into this, of this wonderful prayer um, found in the the Book of Common Prayer. Um, And I'm going to read it very quickly because I do think we have to be careful as we approach that we want to always be reformed, mm. right? Not necessarily from an, an, an outward perspective, but we always want our hearts to be reformed and turned closer. So uh, in speaking of the church, so gracious God, we pray for your church. Fill it with all truth and all truth with all peace. And where it is corrupt, purify it. Mm. Where it is an error, direct it. Where in anything it is amiss, reform it. And where it is right, strengthen it. And where it is in want, provide for it. 
and where it is divided, reunite it for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen. Amen. What a beautiful prayer. Great prayer. <clears throat> and, I, and I think it acknowledges some important aspects to church in that church, as we know it, is made up of broken men and women who need Jesus, first and foremost, as our Savior. So church is made up of, I, I, I would say this, I think that seekers are to some degree, a part of this beginning structure of the church, you know, they're on the, they're on the, the people who are hungry for faith. They're like, we want to be around this church. And so they come and they come around those who have been in the faith and they get around those who have been baptized into the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And there should be this difference, this distinction in those who have been baptized into the life, death and resurrection. The, the word that scripture would use is holiness. Holiness not as in perfection, that's one aspect of holiness, but holiness as in distinction. The church should be distinct from the larger culture around it. And sometimes, sadly, we're not. Sometimes, sadly, the church does fall down and fail, but that's where we lean on the gospel, this reality that Christ is continually helping us as his body walk into newness of life. Now, sadly, culture sometimes sees our failures and defines the church by their failures, says that the church is helplessly broken, mm -hmm. an institution not worth keeping. Let's do away with church. And I think we're experiencing some of this in our current moment in time. Mm -hmm. um, sadly, we have any number of legitimate failures on the part of the church from some of the Roman Catholic uh, sexual scandals to uh, even now, you know, today is uh, the day after all this stuff about Jerry Falwell Jr.'s coming out. Who knows what all is going on in that situation, but he would be called by culture a prominent evangelical leader in the U.S., now, I don't know what it means to be a prominent evangelical leader in the U.S. other than it seems to have a political bent, not necessarily a church bent. But there's this reality that people who represent the church often fall down, often fail. And culture will say that is what the church is. Right. And we need to reclaim this reality of who we are, who is the church and I think that we cannot fall prey to being defined by culture. So as we jump into this, I want to read, I guess, one brief little chunk of a meme that was floating around that might help us unpack church in general. Are that would be great. That? Yeah. And let me also say that, th that this is... Um, like I said, if somebody's listening to this and they're not a part of the church mm. or they're confused about the church, and when we speak of the church, I think it's important for us to understand that the church is this very broad mm. thing. Right. Uh, it's not some sort of narrow, um, it's not a narrow group of people. It's 2.2 billion people in the world who come from very different cultures, different languages, different uh, races, ethnicities. It's so broad and diverse. So when we see something like um, one particular element of the church being um, sort of maybe thrown through the dirt, right? Is that what's that's that the 
tossed to the dirt. Rolled, rolled in the dirt. Thrown in the mud. Thrown in the mud. Something like that. Pig, pig in the pig pen. Yeah, so, that it's not. Um, I, I, what I would ask is for people to have a graciousness to pull back for a second, and to look at the broad landscape of the church. Um, but this is precisely the problem, right? So go ahead and read that meme, if you would. I think it's a. I think yeah, it, it helps us to see how culture has shaped the church's own understanding of itself. Right. Right. And that this has become problematic. Right. Yeah. This, this meme, <clears throat> excuse me, helps us understand that to some degree or another, even people inside the church really need to work hard to understand what is our family? Who is the church? So this was, this was written a while ago. Um, and it kind of became a little bit of a viral meme, but it's by a, a gal, um, named Erna Hackett, and she's a pastor out in San Francisco, Erna Kim Hackett, and I think she's really trying to work out how do I how do I live as a faithful Christian in the world around me, and this is from a larger work that she wrote called Why I Stopped Talking About Racial Reconciliation and Started Talking About White Supremacy, and that'll be another episode entirely, but this quote from her larger piece, which became this meme, will help us get at this reality that to some degree, we let culture define us rather than us defining who we are as the church. So she writes, white Christianity suffers from a bad case of Disney princess theology. As each individual reads scripture, they see themselves as the princess in every story. They are Esther, never Xerxes or Haman. They are Peter, but never Judas. They are the woman anointing Jesus, never the Pharisees. They are the Jews escaping slavery never Egypt. For the citizens of the most powerful country in the world who enslaved both native and black people to see itself as Israel and not Egypt when it's studying scripture is a perfect example of Disney princess theology. And it means that as people in power, they have no lens for locating themselves rightly in scripture or society. And it has made them blind and utterly ill-equipped to engage issues of power and injustice. It is some very weak Bible work. Now, you and I have chatted some about this, but I think that this quote is actually full of some very weak Bible work, and this quote actually prevents us from locating ourselves rightly in Scripture by saying white Christianity, first and foremost, suffers from dot, 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 and then she locates it within the U.S. in particular. So there's a couple of errors right there on the front end of this that I think we need to talk about because at least in the Western church, we are really falling prey to this idea that the church is just white Christians or that it's just white Christians in the church who are really struggling right now. Do you have yeah, thoughts on this? Sure. I, I know you do. I do. Um, and we, as we've talked about this in the past, one of the things that we've talked about is our propensity to... Um, be able to define ourselves in many different ways. So, you know, and we talked about this, about Starbucks. When I worked at Starbucks, I worked at Starbucks for five and a half years. Congratulations. It's, it was, um, I'm still on my lunch break. Yeah. Do you have the, did you have the black apron? Were you I the did. coffee master? I became a coffee master. I knew it. Yeah. And I was. You just were preparing for your clerical garb. I was preparing to wear black for the rest of my life uh, with the coffee master apron. 
Um, you and Johnny Cash. Me and Johnny Cash. It, so there was this uh, thing um, that I was processing through when I was working at Starbucks, and I did that through seminary. It was, you know, I look back on those years fondly, but not really. The drive-through is horrible. You have <laughs> to get up early in the morning. Early huh? in the morning, you put this this uh, headset on, and so the first noises you hear in the morning are like, boop, welcome to Starbucks. What can I get for you? Yeah. Brutal. Oh man, you say that you say that sixty times when it's like you know Five northern in Indiana. It's twenty degrees outside. You're standing by the window. Anyways, <laughs> I just like I went back into a horrible time in my life. Yeah, but escape. People would. They were so proud of how many things they could put on a cup. Mm. They loved to be able to define themselves by as many little nuances as possible, mm-hmm. and so. People do this all the time. We want to be able to define ourselves in ways that make us incredibly nuanced and very detailed, and we want to have as many different ways to define ourselves. But when it comes to somebody else, we never allow them to nuance themselves. Mm. We want to wrap them up in a big box and put a big bow on it and never let them escape. Somebody that we disagree with in particular. Yes, we'll, particularly, let, we'll let our friends define themselves. Oh, sure. But if it's somebody love. else who we disagree with, we lump them all together. Right. We see this all the time. And so um, that's what I saw happening in this meme was it was white Christianity, right? As, as if white Christianity is this thing that we can put, a, uh, you know, put into a box. Hmm. And then she goes on to say each individual every time they read the scripture Right. So you can't escape it. Every if, wh- every white individual. Every white Christian. Sure. Right. Um, each person, every time. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I was asking myself this question as I read it, like, what in the world is white Christianity? Mm. You know, I mean, and I, I started thinking of the world and I was like, well, does this include Canadians? I mean, maybe. Does, is it, are the Swedes involved in this white Christianity? Um, Romanians, sure. You know, Italians. Are Italians? Would they be considered white? Now they are. Early on, when we were a nation built on, made up of immigrants, they weren't. Everyone was distinct. Italians and Irish, and everybody was distinct. Yeah, there were these little tribal pieces. Um, But yeah, so you go all across the board, and I think of all the different kinds of white expressions of the faith. And Mm -hmm. I don't even want to say a white expression. Just expressions of the faith is taking place in different ethnicities, like sure. Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, um, you know, Irish Catholic, you know, poor white Appalachian Christians. Sure, you know, um, you know, Los Angeles, California Christians, whatever, whatever it may be. Snake handling churches. Snake handling churches are, are mostly made up of white people. I, guess. <laughs> I think so. Um, so I, that's not a fair thing to do it it, it because because the white white church is distinct to some degree or another we recognize that there are churches that are made up entirely of white people yes but that an irish catholic church versus that belarusian church versus uh russian orthodox church so different the way they're going to engage with the faith because their cultures are so different right. prevents us from saying white Christian and having it mean something, or it should prevent us 
from saying white Christian and having it be a box that we can place people tidily into. Right. Well, it's not a, yeah, it's just not a fair judgment call on the church. And what it does is it actually does great damage because somebody reads this and they begin to make assumptions about who the church is. Sure. And that if you are quote unquote white and you're a Christian, then you are somehow, because each person, right, every single time they read the scripture, right, is viewing themselves in light of a Disney princess theology, which we can get into that on another Podcasts. another time, yeah, which literally makes no sense. But, and this is how the church sometimes gets defined by culture, sure. and then as this sort of group of people who have no concept of their own whiteness or that they're participating in this great big system of Disney princess theology, Disney princess theology. Right, right. Well, it becomes difficult too, because I think, and right now, rightly so, there is maybe this grain of truth in some of this idea of white Christianity in that in the past, white Christians have perpetuated terrible, terrible violence against people who didn't look like them, against their black and brown brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ even. Right. And so there's this need for us to recognize that, yes, white Christians are sinful. White Christians have done tremendous harm. But if white Christians see themselves as Israel, that's probably okay because part of being the church is viewing yourself as Israel, this group of wandering nomads who continually walked away from the Lord and who the Lord continually in his mercy drew back to himself. Seeing yourself as Israel in every story isn't necessarily a, ne- a, a, a benefit. Isn't I think it's kind of negative. Yeah, read, you, read Isaiah. Right, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, any of the prophets, really, sure. this lamenting and weeping over this nation that wanders constantly from the God who loves them, and God constantly draws them back. So that's kind of one aspect of this. And I think we see a lot of the church in the U.S. right now responding to... I saw this meme, this white Christianity meme, posted by many, 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 many white friends on social media. And I think that their heart was in the right place. Their desire really is to love and serve their black and brown brothers who in this time are really experiencing some upheaval in the nation because of violence that's been perpetuated against them. But at the same time, there is not a reasonable faith that's being engaged with when they post these things because they're looking at it through an emotional lens rather than through this emotions. Good. God gave them to us rather than this broader lens of who are we as the church. And we've seen a couple other examples of this more recently where culture is defining the church Hmm. and we are taking what culture says and making it our identity. Oh, right. I mean, there was the, there was a New York times article that came out, Oh, I guess about a month ago, maybe. Um, and I was thinking about this, about how such an article can actually gain ground. I saw it everywhere. And just so you know, I'm, I'm not on social media a lot. I still have a flip phone. 
Yes, you do. And um, I have my laptop. It does a funny thing. So I'm really not on. I'm not on Facebook a whole lot. What does your laptop do? Is it like turn on and turn off? It screams. It, uh, it does a uh, wee, you know, with its fan. So it's kind of <laughs> annoying. I just kind of turn it off if I'm working on stuff sometimes. But there was this article in the New York Times that was talking about churches being like these hotspot centers for the, the coronavirus. Hmm. And um, it, as I read it, I got this sense that what they're saying is, is that Christians are really unreasonable people, um, that they don't really care about the coronavirus. They're not taking it seriously. Hmm. Um, and that there's this widespread, widespread virus transmission through church, you know, meetings and religious meetings. And it was so funny because as I was reading it, the stats they gave in the article itself, right? Mm -hmm. It was an article in the New York times. It said, you know, there were 650 people who had been 650 people who had you know contracted you know coronavirus in church or religious settings across 40 different gatherings gatherings interesting yeah the the the, the funny thing is that at that point in time we were at about four million a little over four million cases in the u.s so 650 of the four 650 of the over four million uh, cases. Gosh, are we that high? How many cases? Have we I think had? we're at five and a half million now. Wow. So, but 650 of the 4 million, over 4 million cases were attributed to church. And the language was so like aggressive, like churches are these major hotspots, you know, they're super spreaders, hmm. you know, all of this stuff. And I thought, my goodness, like, where's that coming from? Hmm. And, and there was a rebuttal article and I forget the the author who said every church he knows, except for a few, which of course get all the attention. Sure. Yeah. Right. Um, have actually gone above and beyond what, you know, regulations and things like that would have them do. And we've, we've been that way here. Sure. We meet on the lawn. We're outside. We meet like 12 feet apart in groups. The squares are distanced. The squares paint, are really distanced. Spray paint the squares on the ground. And we've done everything. We know. And most churches I know, I mean, there's some churches that aren't even meeting this year. Yeah. Who just said, we're not even going to meet until next year. Right. But this idea that we're sort of this irresponsible, we don't believe in science, we don't believe in, in anything except for this idea that we should worship God on our terms when we want to, mm. it's, just, it's just false. Well, and it's a caricature. Oh, it's a complete caricature. Um, and I and I think you know. To be fair, there are those gatherings of Christians in the U.S. who do say say those things. You know, who do lean a little bit in that direction. Now, I don't. I don't personally know any of them. Uh, there are those Christians who are. Uh, you always have the weird uncle who believes the Earth's flat. You know, you've got those. Wait kinds, a minute. Wait a minute. I actually don't have an uncle who believes the Earth's flat, but. What do you mean? Why would he be weird if, oh. if, if, he, if he thinks the world's flat? Bro, you're clearly not in the Psalter. Even the Psalms tell us the world is round. This is weird. You, you I thought it was flat. There. You got to get in there. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, there's, there's this reality that, yes, there are pockets of 
Christians where science is decried, where there's an inability or an unwillingness to engage with what seems to be science. But that that is a caricature if you make all of the church in that image. And I think that that's one of the things that's being done right now. And I think as a result, a lot of Christians are f- fearful to, s- to speak fully their thoughts about coronavirus or even living out their faith in this time because, well, for a couple of reasons, but I mean, they might be called science deniers or whatever else it might be. Um, But you're right, you know, for our part, and we can really mostly only speak to our parish a lot of the time because it's what we know and it's Mm -hmm. where we serve. Our people are really careful, really cautious, really compassionate. They've worked really hard to care for each other well in this time of coronavirus. They want to be careful in how they interact, but they want to interact. Um, so it's been really beautiful to watch them reason through, think about sure. how do we engage with one another during coronavirus. Yeah. And, and Nick, it, the funny thing is, is that at, at our parish, we have people all across the board on issues. Oh, yeah. I mean, if politically, you, politically, coronavirus, coronavirusly, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> covidly. Yeah. Um, we, we have people all across the board. And, and this is the beauty of the church that I wish people could see. Sure. And I wish it was written about more. Sure. Is that our folks disagreed on a whole lot of stuff about COVID. Uh-huh. And we came to a plan, a middle ground. Mm-hmm. And people on both sides sort of surrendered aspects of their desires yeah. in order for the whole of the church to be able to do something. Right, to benefit. To benefit, to, and to be good, and to be faithful. Right. And that was the reasonable response that we mm. saw. And that, right there, I think, are the things I would love to see people talk about. Right. But in our current day, you know, nobody wants to read an article about that. Sure. It doesn't, I mean, it's not going to get clicks, right? Well, right. Well, we, two things, I think, that are not reasonable. And, you know, we, we, we've said that, we want to have conversations about reasonable faith in times that are less than reasonable. And I think two things that help us recognize that the times are less than reasonable are that we love to be outraged right now. We love to be outraged. I want to be outraged about this or that. So the news cycle helps us in our outrage. And are there terrible, horrendous things that we should be outraged about in the world? Yes. Justice needs to be done. As Christians, our heart is for justice because we recognize that all of humanity is made in the image of God. But the second thing is fear. Mm. We, I don't think we like to be afraid, but we've become on some level dependent on fear. We yeah. can't live life without fear. We don't know actually how to guide ourselves when we're not afraid. It's almost as if, okay, if racial tension starts to subside, then we need to talk about coronavirus more if coronavirus numbers start to subside then we need to talk about financial unrest more and yes are there terrible terrible things in the world of course but as christians we're not called to be fearful in fact we're called to the opposite and we're told that christ who is perfect love drives out fear Mm -hmm. but outrage fear those things foment division and so a story about how the church is actually handling coronavirus well (laughs) 
isn't going to make it into the papers, even a local paper. Right. Because it doesn't stoke the fires of fear or foment outrage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you're, you're precisely right. Fear has become the thing which determines our decisions. Right. And so we're not really moving towards anything. We're just moving away from our greatest fear at the moment. Right. And in some ways, that helps to give people meaning. Oh, for sure. It gives them meaning. It allows them to make decisions uh, based on their own fears. And then they look at other people Mm. outside of themselves and they say, you're not afraid of the right things. Sure. Or outraged at the right things. Or outraged, yeah. So you, and this is, this takes place, this is taking place in society. I mean, all across the board. Yeah. And, And it's, it makes its way into the church, mm. especially if the church, if the church, and it doesn't, in some ways doesn't say, and I wish it would, you know, this is that part of being reformed, um, because as Christians we believe that there's nothing truly to be fearful of. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in some ways of like, you know, you should go on a hot hot air balloon and hang from the bottom of the basket the, the entire time. Right, we're not being flippant. No. With that- yeah. Would you try that, though? No. I'm scared of heights. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, mean, I don't want to do it. But we, it's not that kind of fear. Right. I mean, I remember this. We, you know, when coronavirus hit us. Sure. You know, hit the United States. It was in March. Mm-hmm. We had already done our Ash Wednesday service. Yeah. And I remember we knew it was on this. It was like on the horizon kind of coming in our direction. And I'm not for sure that people were even thinking about it mm. too strongly. No, we didn't know how to think about it. We didn't. Yeah. And I remember, you know, putting ashes on people's head, and you were there too. We were putting ashes on people's foreheads, and we would say, you know, from dust you came and dust you shall return. Mm-hmm. This idea that we are mortal, that we will experience death. And it's surprising that a church all across the world was doing that, and then coronavirus comes, and we're like, ah, mm. what are we going to do? Mm. And it's like, well, we just told you, you right. know, a few weeks ago. From dust you came, to and dust. to dust you shall return. Yeah. And um, if, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, that sounds crazy. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, it is. But it actually forms us and shapes us, hopefully, in a way that we understand our mortality. Mm. And we don't make all of our decisions based around... Um, a false understanding of life. Yeah. Death comes for us all. It does. Yeah. It does. So I think that article was another interesting one. Right. That sort of painted the church as this careless entity. Right. When I have seen completely the opposite. Yeah. Um, as I've talked to to pastors in the area, as I've talked to friends across the country. Sure. Um, even as I've learned about, you know, our brothers and sisters in Africa and in South America and the things that they're doing and trying to implement in order to be reasonable about it. Right. But also not be fearful. Right. You yeah. Know. So how do, how do we, to take the Hebrews 10, you know, 24 and 25, how do we not forsake the meeting together of ourselves as is the habit of some, but how do we, and this is my paraphrase, how do we continue to gather together so that we can encourage each other, spur one another on toward love and good works. And so much the more as we see the day speaking future tense of Christ's return, and we don't know when that is, 
but each new day we hope we're one day closer. So, so as we see the day of Christ approaching, we're to continue to meet. That's part of what it means to be mm-hmm. the church. And I think we could obviously continue on with these caricatures that are often painted of church for a long time. I know I'm sure you've probably gotten jokes, um, sadly, about being a priest and uh, with all of the scandals within the Roman Catholic Church, which are just heartbreaking, I often get uh, poked fun at by my secular friends who do not have a concept of what it means to be a priest that are rather dark jokes along the lines of abuse and things like that, Mm. that that's the role of the priest. And I have to I have to brush those off, but there's this reality that these folks who are my some some of whom are my dear friends who just are still in process and haven't met Jesus and I pray that they one day will. And if you're listening to this, yes, I do pray that you will one day meet <laughs> Jesus. Are um, you gonna tell them about this podcast? I don't know, man. Don't. That's a, that's a good question. Okay. <laughs> well, because well, they're not I mean, they, the only people listening to this is our wives. Probably. Hi, Katie. Hi, Brenna. Um, anyway, but, but I think those caricatures are numerous, and caricatures always have this hint of truth, mm-hmm. you know. But for us, and I want to go here next, if, if you're cool with it, Aaron, I think it's important for us to look now at, one, Scripture, and two, tradition, mm-hmm. and how the church has been defined uh, and in particular, I, I kind of wanted to read a chunk of Ephesians 4 sure, and then unpack a little bit of it because what this passage from Ephesians 4 ends up moving into is it gets put into our creeds. And so we read in Ephesians 4, and, and Paul here, the Apostle Paul, is talking about unity in the body of Christ. You know, and he's writing uh, as a prisoner for the Lord, and he says, I urge you to walk... And I think this part's super important for us. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I'll pause right there. Because that's what we're called to. Even our brothers and sisters in Christ who we disagree with. Sure when it comes to coronavirus or social injustice and politics. how they deal with politics, we are called to be humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love in order to maintain unity mm-hmm. because we're all in Christ. Well, and because, and I precisely right, but and because as Christians, we should view the church and Christ as the ultimate reality. Hmm right? It's the ultimate reality. Sure. And we've talked about that. Yeah. Like coronavirus is, is real. Yes. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. So if you're out there wondering, are they deniers? No, no, no. Coronavirus is real, but Very it's not real. the ultimate reality of the world sure. for Christians. It's a part of the brokenness that's in the world as a result of sin. Right. Politics, politics are real, but they're not the ultimate reality of the world. Yeah. Sadly, politics are real. Sadly. Yeah. Oh boy. And so we find ourselves as Christians trying to navigate a world um, while holding on to this, what we believe is the ultimate reality. Right. And that becomes difficult. So sure. And we get pulled in different directions all the time. So we, we have to come back to center and right. say, 
to our brothers and sisters, this is what is most important. This is the ultimate reality in the world, and we're going to stay in there, and we're going to work it out inside you know, those boundaries of this reality of Christ and his people. Right. Not that we hole up, not that we don't no, engage in politics, no, or not that we don't serve the law, the, the sick and the broken who are suffering from coronavirus or any other illness, but that we constantly bring that back to who we are as the body of Christ. That's our first and foremost reality. Right. We are the people of God. Mm-hmm. Um and Paul, I mean, I started in chapter 4 of Ephesians, but Paul s- says in uh, chapter 1, like verse 10, hey, the, the great mystery is that God has been uniting all things. T- at the right time, God united all things to himself. You know, there's this mm-hmm. both that's already accomplished in Christ and this future reality that all mm-hmm. things will be united to him in his second coming. But that's our reality, and it's hard to see sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because it's easy to see uh, the world around us and its brokenness and want to try and jump in and fix everything and make it perfect here and now. Right. And we are called as Christians to work in that direction. Oh, absolutely. Making life here and now as we know it will be in the future. Yeah, live, live towards the future. Right. Absolutely. Right. But then, uh, I'm going to keep going. Sure, you please. Cool yeah. So Paul goes on in chapter 4 of Ephesians, starting in verse 4, he says... For there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ones and ins and alls in that. A lot. But I think Paul's touching on something really, really crucial for us, especially when we're looking at the caricatures of the church that are out there in the world versus what church actually is. Mm-hmm. Church is one body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have more in common with, I have more in common with um, somebody I've never met on the other side of the world who speaks a totally different language, has a totally different experience, um, but if they are a part of that one body, that mysterious union, um, then I have more in common with them than I do somebody in my own neighborhood who I see all the time who's not in that same right. body. Right. And that's my family. Right. Right. And as Christians, we view it that way. So that's why it becomes difficult, I think, going back to the very beginning of our conversation, when we begin to separate the body mm-hmm. uh, from within inside the body. Right. And we begin to sort of parse it out as like, this is a white Christian thing. Yeah. Or this is what, quote unquote, the black church does. Right. Or this is how Asian Christians are. Right. We, we do something like that. We, we fail to see the church as this one holy Catholic apostolic entity in the mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. that God made it to be. Right. This is where we've talked about this before, where water baptismal water mm-hmm. is thicker than blood. Yeah, water's thicker than blood. Yeah. This this reality that because we are baptized into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and his spirit lives and dwells in us, we have been made this one body. And so, I and I don't know, I look forward to chatting with the Lord one day. I don't know how he views us. Is that us how you would do it? With my hands out You just out chat? Like oh, I hope so. I don't just know. Just chit-chat, like you're sitting on the... Maybe, maybe I know I'm going to fall on my face to some degree, 
but I hope he's going to lift me up and we'll get to chit chat, you know, maybe over a mint julep. I don't know. Over a mint julep <clears> watching <throat> heavenly horses run. Maybe I'll get my seersucker suit. Then. I can't do, I can't, I'm a Southern kid and <laughs> I can't do the, the Texas, not the Texas, the Kentucky draw that you just did. The mint julep. Uh, yeah, well, you do anyway. it better than I do. But, but I think, you know, I think the Lord looks at all of us in our variety and peculiarity and particularity. And I think he sees the Pentecostal church and the charismatic church and the Orthodox church and us as Anglicans and the Protestant church uh, more broadly. I think he sees us all as his kids who he loves mm -hmm. and adores and I, when I look at my three kids, they're all unique, mm -hmm. different, and odd in their own ways. And they're all right about a lot of things, and they all are wrong about a lot of things. But I love them all the same. Yeah. But I think sometimes as brothers and sisters, we don't view each other the way God might view us. And I, and I don't want to put words in the Lord's mouth. He hasn't told me that that's how he views us. But I, I think there's some reality to that, you know? You'll you have time to chit-chat yeah. about that. Yeah. Is this, was I right when yeah. I was doing that podcast? Um, you will know, I mean, I think you're spot on. I think also is, as we've been talking today, it's about how we're viewed, too, right. from outside the church. Right. Right. And that becomes an important distinction to make is that, and if you're listening to this, and I would say, if you're outside of the church and you're listening to this and the language feels weird and you're like, these guys are talking about things that I never, I mean, that language is awkward to me. Well, it probably is because it's a language that we use within our, within this family. And, um, but I would ask that there would be a grace given to the things that maybe people believe about the church that aren't true sure you know i mean and this is a perfect example let's go back to one one more little thing sure it, it was the we talked about this the twitter that went out it's a tweet the twitter tweet the twitter tweet i don't have well i do i do have twitter you're on the twitters i think i started out about four or five years ago i felt pressure yeah that i should have a twitter account because yeah. all of the cool people i knew were saying you know, if you really want to be, you know, followed. If you want to make an impact in the world. If you want to make an impact. It all happens in this realm called Twitter. 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 And how so many I, how many times do you think you tweeted? I've, I think I've tweeted once. I'm going to find out. I'm going to find you. You can find it probably on, on your phone. On the Twitter. Um, I think I have two followers. I'll be your third. Th three or four years ago, I think I had two followers. Well... Get ready to have a third today. That's exciting. But anyway, this tweet that was... It went out. Tweeted out. Yeah, and it was after the whole Bubba Wallace situation. Mm, the NASCAR driver. The NASCAR driver, who um, there was either... It was either racism or perceived racism that occurred around um, a rope, a, a quote-unquote noose. I don't want to call it that because I'm not for sure if it was intended to be that, that was used to pull up and down the garage door. Sure. It sure looked like a noose in it, the photos. I it get it. It sure did. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's not a... a, a improper assumption to make mm -mm. right but this tweet went out that said something along the lines of after well nascar did a good thing yeah you know they sort of surrounded bubba wallace and yeah. they said you know you know this can't happen and i think they walked around the track with him they put him in the front and they sort of surrounded him and lifted him up um 
which I will say, and we can get into that at another time, puts a lot of pressure on Bubba Wallace yeah. in some ways to carry that. Um, but they surrounded him because uh, he's an image bearer of God, right? They, NASCAR might not have said that. They might no, have said, because you're a NASCAR driver. Right. But yeah, we as the church say, oh, that's a beautiful example of humanity supporting humanity. Absolutely. Because, yeah. And so a, a, a tweet came out that said, um, the church is now being outpaced by NASCAR. Mm. Right. In, in terms of racial reconciliation. In terms of right. racial reconciliation and justice issues and things along those lines. Mm. And I just stared at it for a second. And I entered, I engaged with my friend who had sent it to me, um, who is a, is a black pastor, a wonderful man. Um, and I just said, I don't think that's true. I don't think it's true. Mm. Um, the church has been around for 2,000 years, right? We are more diverse than NASCAR. Yes, definitely. NASCAR, <laughs> NASCAR is mostly white. It's, you could almost say white NASCAR. No, white NASCAR. Yeah, white NASCAR. Yeah, um, anyway, sorry. Back. Yeah, so, I mean, in, in the church, if you're white, you're a minority in the world. Sure. I mean, hands down, not sure. even close. I mean, as an Anglican, we, we've talked about this in our welcome introduction to Anglicanism classes. The fact of the matter is, if you're a white Anglican, you're in the minority because the average Anglican is an African woman in her mid-20s. Sure. Because Anglicanism in Africa has just exploded by God's grace. Yeah, I mean, well, what's the stat? There's more Anglicans in Nigeria than in the entire Western world combined. Yeah. U.S. and Europe combined, yeah. Yeah, so this idea that these other entities have outpaced the church, right, in mm -hmm. this sort of racial reconciliation thing, mm -hmm. uh, or this justice issue around race, mm -hmm. is just totally false. Yeah. The church has been at this for a very, very long time. Right, because that's the great mystery of the gospel, right? Yep. That God has torn down the dividing walls that humanity puts up in his son, Jesus Christ, and he's made one body out of all peoples, right? That there's no longer this need for these artificial divisions to mm -hmm. exist because when it comes down to it, we're all made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. We're all broken and sinful in need of a Savior. Christ came incarnate in the flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserved, rose again from the dead, destroying hell and Satan, trampling death under his feet, and ascended into heaven where he's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And we believe, <laughs> to, to quote the creed, that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Mm -hmm. And so if unity can be created out of all the diversities of the people, not negating their diversity, not subjecting their diversity to some similarity, but saying, hey, in your vast diversity, in your vast beauty as different ethnicities, God can unite us under one banner, under, mm -hmm. under the banner of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is a beautiful thing. And that's exactly what Paul's getting at in Ephesians, right? right. And, and much of his writing, you know, this great mystery mm -hmm. is that Christ has broken down the dividing walls of a hostility and made out of all people one nation. Uh, that's a picture in Revelations twenty, Revelation twenty-one. You know, right? Pe people from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping together. What are you looking up? Well, I'll get back to that in a second. Yeah, yeah. Um, but 
and you, when you asked me that question, Nick, you made me lose my train of thought. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Classic conversation. Classic conversation piece there. Um, but this was, this is precisely, I think, what we're trying to hit at today. Um, it, it, there's a perfect example of this. My thought just came back to me. When we talk about, when you talked about this diversity of, of the human race being brought into one family. Yeah. No, I mean, nothing else has ever done that. No, nothing. You know, not even, I mean, America as an, as a, um, melting pot as a melting pot, but it's, it's not because we're still divided along racial. Well, that's the failures pieces. that we're seeing right now. Right. Yeah. So you, the church is, is a unique entity. It's the only entity in the world that is not bound by language, race, ethnicity, or any kind of cultural element mm-hmm. that, you know, but there's a great image of this, uh, mm. you know, and if you're listening for the first time, well, you would be only listening for the first time. This is our first podcast. I, I love icons. Mm. There's an icon of Jesus, the great high priest, and the the writer of this icon, the quote unquote painter or artist, but mm. a writer, um, has made Jesus um, no ethnicity mm. mm-hmm. in this uh, image. He, he, he is not white. Right, Jesus wasn't white. He's not black. He's not Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, he isn't, um, you know, he's not Arab. Um, he's not, you know, Hispanic or any of those things. He is literally um, everything. In this icon. In this icon. Yeah. And it's a great image because you can't nail yourself down in him. Mm. And you can't nail anybody else down in him. And you can't exclude anybody from him. Mm. He's the representative of He's all He's the representative humanity. of all humanity. Yeah. And that's the beauty of, I think, when we think of the church, if it is his body, then it has to be the representative of all humanity. Right. 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 And so it becomes the reality of the world. Right. Right. And it calls people to itself to mm. say, if you really want community... Yeah. I mean, if you're really out there looking for community, true community, true community, it's not centered in just an idea that you have or just a, you know, a small slice of your desires. Yeah. You know, a true community that, that spans space, time and all races and languages. It's the church. Right. Right. It's the church. It really is. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's the purpose of the church, actually, as we go on in Ephesians 4, and I'll just read this. He, Paul talks about Christ then ascending into heaven, and moving from there, it talks about this fact that within the church, Christ gave us apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers, and he gave us these to equip the saints, and we've engaged with that word equip, not like uh, Batman's tool belt, but as in the strengthening of ligaments in a body, mm-hmm. drawing together ligaments in a body. So he's given those people to us to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And listen to this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Right. And part of the unity of the faith is true knowledge of the Son of God until we all grow up into mature manhood and womanhood in Christ, until we grow to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so we're to be unified in this pursuit of being Christ-like 
And part of that is unity. You know, you think of John 17 and Christ's high priestly prayer where he tells the disciples, prays, hey, you know, the world will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And so there's this sense that we really need to work toward that thing. That is the purpose of the church. That is who we are as the church. We cannot allow culture to bifurcate us and put us into these different boxes where we then fight with one another because we disagree with each other on this or that or the other. We have to be unified in the things that really matter. I think of the, I don't know who said this, but unity and what is essential liberty and non-essentials and there are some non-essentials in faith right there are a lot of essentials and we'll talk about those things over the course of time but we cannot allow the world around us to divide us right or to tell us who we are or to tell us who we are and so i think that's maybe a good spot to bring this first episode of two priests talking to a close yeah to a close um I've enjoyed the conversation this morning. Yeah, it was good. It was good. And I look forward to more. I hope, I hope that these are helpful, helpful. We hope that these are helpful to you all as you listen to us ramble. I think, you know, sometimes you just want to be a fly on the wall while you listen to your priest chat with somebody about this or that. And maybe, maybe there's only a couple of you who wish you were that fly on the wall. But uh, if you're that person, we hope this meant something in you. Yeah. It, it's been a it's been a real joy, and I think uh, being able to be here uh, with you this morning has been enjoyable. We've been drinking our uh, coffee and our Earl Grey tea, and we've been uh, loving um, talking about these things together uh, privately. And I think now to be able to sort of put this out there is just these these are the conversations we're having on a regular basis. It's a hard time to be a Christian. It's actually kind of a complicated time to know what it looks like to live as a faithful Christian in the world. And so uh, we're thankful that the Lord has given us his spirit and his scripture and the tradition of the church and reason to walk through those, those difficulties in and with. And we just want to chat about those things. And hopefully we'll get a forum set up so you guys can ask some questions too, so we can maybe chat about some of the things that you all are curious about. But Father Aaron, would you mind sending us out I with a blessing? I would love to send us out with a a blessing this morning. So receive this blessing, the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks so much, Father Aaron. And thank you, Father Nick. Until next time. Peace. Peace.